Welcome back everyone, this is The Change Log and I'm your host Adam Stachowiak. This is episode 176 and on today's show we're talking to the creator of Code Newbie, Saranya Bark. She's also the host of their podcast, Code Newbie Podcast. Code Newbie is a supportive community of programmers and people learning to code. Great things Saranya is doing, a lot of fun conversation today. We had four awesome sponsors, CodeShip, TopTal, Harvest, and Imagix. Our first sponsor of the show is CodeShip. There you hosted, continuous delivery service, focusing on speed, security, and customizability. And they love the changelog, longtime supporters of the show. And today, you can get set up using CodeShip's continuous integration features in a matter of seconds and automatically deploy your code when your tests have passed. CodeShip supports your GitHub and your Bitbucket projects, so no worries there. And you can get started with CodeShip's free plan today, or you can decide to go with a premium plan later on and use our code, the ChangeLaw Podcast, to save 20% off any plan you choose for three months. Again, that code is the ChangeLaw Podcast. Head to codeship.com slash the ChangeLaw to get started. And now on to the show. All right, everyone, we're back. we got a great show lineup today. we got Saran joining us, the host of Code Newbie. Jerry, we've been waiting for this show for a while. I think it started back as a, a ping, kind of, in a way. That's T- right. Tell us about that. Yeah, all the way back in January 4th, I think uh, GitHub user Dr. Vince Knight wrote in saying, loving the awesome podcast. Name. Yeah, isn't it? Must be a is awesome. PhD. Must be a doctor. Yeah. Smart guy. <laughs> um, and he said, over the past three years, I've gone from complete open source ignorant to humbly, shyly contributing to some projects. I still very much consider myself a noob and would have thought there are others like me. I think a neat episode could be an overview of getting involved with open source. And he goes on to suggest a show for noobs, which I didn't really know exactly how to put that together for a while. So I kind of just sat on it. Uh, finally... I thought, you know who's really good with noobs is Saranya Bark with Code Newbie. So I just kind of said, hey, thanks for writing in. Uh, maybe you could, you know, listen to Code Newbie. That'd be great. <laughs> and then I just happened to at mention Saran on the issue, at which point she chimed in and said, oh, let's get together and, and uh, have a show. And so here so we are. So back in yeah. January? Yep, January. Wow. And that this was is, January? Oh, well, wow. his original issue was January. Uh, mm-hmm. It hasn't been that long since you chimed in. I think it was July. So yeah, okay. I was gonna say well, I'm kind of glad time. that you. Yeah, I'm glad that you waited because I think the show's gotten a lot better. So good job, good job oh. waiting until we we got better. <laughs> Procrastination, <laughs> FTW. <laughs> so I exactly. guess without further ado, since you've been chatting here, Saran, for those yeah. who don't listen to your show or only listen to it a few times and don't know fully who you are, can you introduce yourself to our audience? Sure. I am Saran. I'm host of the Code Newbie podcast. And we actually do a lot of stuff beyond the podcast. But the idea came from really my own coding journey. I guess it's been a little over two years ago at this point. So when I first learned to code, I learned mostly on my own, you know, for a few months just in my apartment. I quit my job. I did it full time. I did Treehouse and Code School and a bunch of other resources that your listeners are probably familiar with. And it was sad and lonely and frustrating. <laughs> and it was really hard to learn on my own. 
Um, and then I applied and got accepted into a programming boot camp, and I did that for three months. And it was, you know, a great experience for me. I learned a ton. But what I really got out of it was the community. It was really just, you know, sitting next to a bunch of people who were just as excited, just as passionate, who were just as terrified as I was learning to code. And that's really where the value was. And I felt that, you know, to get that value, it cost me $11,000 in a total of six months without a job, which, you know, fortunately I can afford, but a lot of people can't. Um, and I really wanted to provide a community for people who were struggling and, and learning to code on their own and making the, the switch the way that I did. And so it started with just a Twitter chat. It started with, you know, using the hashtag code newbie and just me tweeting out from my personal account and saying, hey, if you're if you're out there and you're learning to code, what are you learning? What are you excited about? What are some, you know, some languages? What are some resources that you'd like to share? And people responded. And we did that for, you know, many months and it kept growing and it kept building momentum. And it got to a point where I said, you know, these Twitter chats are great, but you can't really do in-depth conversations with Twitter chats. And so I said, huh, a podcast is a really good format for in-depth conversations. Um, and so that's how the podcast got started. And then from there, we do, you know, we've started doing project nights. So once a week, we have a Ruby team, we have a JavaScript team, we have a Python team. Um, and we actually started doing Saturday discussions. And uh, we're doing a, a book club as well. Um, and we're starting a new thing called Iron Coder, where people challenge each other and take on little code katas and work together to solve them. And ah. so the idea... Yeah, it's really, really neat. We're launching that one actually um, very soon. So by the time this goes on air, we'll, we'll, we'll have done a couple of them. Um, and the best part is, you know, we're we're not an education team. We're not a, a you know, we're not a school. We're a place where you can come and find support and you can work on things together. And we find these little excuses to bring people together. So that's what we're about. Very interesting. Very cool. I think, man, that was a whirlwind tour. Let, let, let's talk about it a little <laughs> bit. Yeah, and I mean, you come a long ways, and it's 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 really quite astounding. But um, you mentioned Flatiron, you mentioned trying some code school and you know code academies yourself. Um, unlike many people, you're coming to this, and and like many, so there's, there's many of us out there. But yeah, mm -hmm. this isn't your first career. Uh, yes, maybe uh, take us back a little bit. Tell us what you did before you decided that you're going to be a code newbie, and then. Um, at the tail end of that, well, I'll just ask a follow-up, but just to lead into that is like, why would you even want to switch to, to this career? But start with, where have you yeah. been before? So, so that second question is really funny because very senior developers ask me that all the time. And I'm like, because yeah. it's awesome. So, you know, maybe, hopefully I won't be, you know, jaded and sad later on in my career. But right now I'm still really excited. Mm -hmm. um, but to answer your first question, you know, when I was in undergrad, I thought I was going to be a doctor. And I did all the pre-med courses. I studied organic chemistry. I taught organic chemistry. I was a biochemistry research fellow. I'm a published author. Like I've done a lot of stuff in the hard sciences. And then I think it was my end of my junior year, I actually shadowed a doctor, which I should have done much sooner. Mm. And I realized that what I liked about science was the problem solving. And it was the figuring out like what really is going on and what caused this and how did this happen? And it wasn't so much the saving lives part, just me being very honest. Um, and I thought, you know, I probably shouldn't be a doctor if that's not the part I'm really excited about. Mm. And so, you know, I thought, what, what, what the hell do I do now? And I'd always done journalism. I, um, I interned at an NPR member station in DC. I wrote for a college paper. I was an online editor for a college magazine. And so I decided to pursue journalism. 
And I worked at NPR for a short bit. I worked at Discover Magazine. And in that time, I read the Steve Jobs book. And to me, that book really just changed my life because for the first time, technology was presented in a way that got me excited about creating. And I'd never, ever thought of myself as a creator when it comes to mm. tech. I always thought a, of myself as a consumer. I was going to say, was that his bio, the Walter Isaacson one? Yes. Or, mm-hmm. yes. The okay. ridiculously long bio. Yes, that one. Um, and it was great because it was this guy who, you know, wasn't a very nice person, but he brought together design and emotions and storytelling and, you know, beauty and all these things that I could connect to, you know, having um, written stories and done a lot of a lot of media yeah. stuff with like the hardcore tech. And so I said, I need to get in on this. I don't know what this is, but I need to, to be here. And so I worked at a few different startups doing everything that was not technical. And I did that for, I think it was two to three years. And I felt like every time I was hitting this wall where I couldn't do what I really wanted to do, I couldn't make anything because I didn't know how to make things. I couldn't even have a real conversation about UX and UI and you know anything because I didn't have those skills. And so I felt like if I wanted to make products and if that's the person I wanted to be, I really did have to learn to code. Yeah, because as I was just kind of back channeling with Adam, the thought that crossed my mind when you said the Steve Jobs bio kind of inspired you is that he's famously not an engineer, right? He's right. <laughs> a salesman and a, mm-hmm. an innovator and in many, many things. Um, but, you know, someone criticized because he was not a, a software developer. He's a leader. That's right. I think that's what yeah. we need. You know, I think that, mm-hmm. uh, you know, something that you said a bit earlier, Jerry, was like the those who are already developers kind of ask the question to someone like Saron to say, well, what is it that you like about software development or engineering? Mm-hmm. And, you know, Saron, your reply was, it's awesome. It's, it's so much fun. <laughs> right. Yeah, I mean, yeah, and that's the thing. So right now, uh, I actually work at Microsoft as a, as a program manager, and I was hired on not to be a developer, not to be a coder, but to manage a, a program that um, I think we'll talk about a little bit later called Tech Jobs Academy. And recently, I've gotten to do a lot more software stuff, and I've gotten to both do product development, but also code. And what's really fascinating is I feel like having worked at startups, having done, having done a lot of product-y stuff, I, I'm able to bring that to the table. But because I also know how to code, I can connect with our engineers much, much better than other people can. Yeah. And I think that, you know, it's not so much that, and, and you know, it's not that I, I feel like I need to be the best programmer and that's, you know, that's the goal. But I think that even being coding literate and having built enough and, and hopefully, I, you know, I plan on continuing to build my skills. I think that that perspective and that knowledge is incredibly, incredibly valuable when you're making business decisions in technology. Well, you could bring a certain amount of empathy to the position where, yes. whereas there's somebody who has that wall, which you said you kept hitting, because uh, you couldn't create, you didn't know enough, and you hit that wall with someone if you're trying to manage them, and you're right. just like, make the magic, okay? You're the magic <laughs> man, just make the magic. And they're like, well, hey, that's exactly. not how the magic works. That's right, right. <laughs> right, exactly. So, Yeah, it's it's really hard to do a good job managing something if you don't, if you can't speak the language, you know, if you can't understand the process and the pieces, it, it's it's really hard to do that, so... Yeah. So you got started on uh, online training courses, and mm-hmm. yet you're here saying that it's awesome. And it sounded like those things were kind of false starts for you. Is that fair to say? Yeah. I mean, the thing with the the online stuff is it helped me enough to know that I wanted to keep going. 
But I mean, I was I was honestly shocked at the difference between, you know, learning online for a few months and being in a more structured program for the same amount of time. You know, I feel like I I was able to skip, you know, nine years of what would have been very frustrating, very slow learning and condense it down to the things that I needed to know to be productive. So it's not so much that and honestly, I a lot of the people that we interview on the Code to Be podcast are entirely at least half of them are mostly self-taught, mostly using online resources and books. And I have so much admiration for those people because I think it takes, you know, a very specific determination and work ethic and discipline and faith in yourself <laughs> to be able to yeah. be productive and get a job yeah. purely on online. Yeah. Yeah, I've had a similar experience, not not personally. Uh, I am a bit self-taught. Um, although uh, kind of formally trained in computer-y things and then self-taught on software development. But back when I was trying to learn software development, there, was, there weren't code schools. These, great, these, these are great uh, things that we have. Um, mm-hmm. But what, what a lot of people that I talk to find is, is that they go through those motions and they get the excitement and the, the kind of like that hit of adrenaline that you get, you know. Um, but there's no comprehension that really goes with it. And yes. so what the, and some people can just power through that, like you said, that it's an amazing kind of characteristic for somebody <laughs> that can go completely <laughs> through that. Um, but others kind of need a structure, they need other people. And then with, with that, you know, paired with a, with an online course, you know, with mm-hmm. a Linda or yes. a, a subscription to, um, I'm trying to think of the one Treehouse. you know, Treehouse, yeah. Code School, a, sponsor this Coast, show. Oh yeah, Code School. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> They're all great. We love Code School. We love them all. But uh, <laughs> cover all your bases there. Uh, <laughs> it's a great adjunct in that sense. But yeah. for a lot of people, it's not going to take you, you know, all the way home. And I think that the big thing is just direction. I wrote a blog post. I think it's called months ago. Called I am not a tinkerer. Mm-hmm. And to me, I feel like those online resources are really—they're great for tinkers. You know, I think it's great if you want to try things and you're learning things and it's okay if there isn't, you know, a very specific goal and there's a, there's not a specific purpose. There's not a, you know, an, an end that you're trying to get to when you're just kind of following along. And I think that a lot of people are like that. And that's awesome. I am not one of those people. I know that about myself. I need to have a very clear purpose. I need to know why am I doing this in this order? When am I doing it? How long am I doing it for? I need to have that to make the most out of my learning. And to me, that was the missing piece. You know, I think that if I had a senior developer or someone say, you should do this course, don't worry about that one, go to this one next. You know, if someone could kind of give me directions, I think then it would have been helpful. But for me, it was it was really about the structure and the direction that was really valuable. I'm a hands-on learner myself. I need to have some guidance. I like team. I'm never, I even teams. though I work at home like you, Jared, and uh, Saran, I'm sure you, do you work from home? I'm, I'm assuming. Once in a while. Once, Once in a while. while. I mean, as a loner, so to speak, like my office doesn't have two desks in it, right? Mm. Um, so I'm usually alone, but in that space, even though that's the case, I have a team, I have Jared, I have others around here that, that work with us and make this possible. We do. I love team and I cannot, mm. I cannot take, I can't learn very well, at least in, uh, in an isolated environment. It just doesn't work mm. yeah. for me. Yeah, it's sad. Like, it's just sad. I just get sad when I'm, you know, on my own. And then when things go well, there's no one to high five. You got to high five yourself. That's weird. That's not fun. Yeah, um, exactly. Exactly. You got to take pictures of it, put it on the internet. <laughs> <laughs> just to prove that you're doing something. 
I spent a little bit of time. Uh, I mean, I spent a lot of my career as a solo developer in my basement. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I have stretches where I don't have a team and, and I'm okay with that. Like, it, eh, it's nice to be around people. It's also nice to be by, my, by myself. But what I, what I miss out on is like, I wonder, am I missing out on, um, like, could I be better even as a developer or as a thinker or a problem solver, if I had somebody else that was, you know, riffing and jiving uh, mm-hmm. with me, and would I be learning faster? So that some of the reasons why I listen to all the podcasts and I read all the blogs and stuff is I feel like I don't have that much of a community, you know, uh, physically there with me of people who are like awesome developers and I'm just learning from constantly. So I can definitely feel the the sense of need for a team. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I do like developing by myself and being kind of a solo, but I wonder, I'm always on like, is the grass really greener over there? Yeah. Sounds like perhaps it is. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I have my, I have my moments where I, I really like being alone, especially if it's on, if I'm working on a feature that I already know how to build, you know, tools I know, and I just, uh-huh. you know, put my headphones on and I go and it's wonderful. But when I'm doing anything new, when I find myself getting frustrated, just having someone I can just tap on the shoulder and say, can you just look at this for me? You know, you don't even have to say anything. Just just be my rubber duck. Just look at it and let me talk at you. <laughs> like that alone is incredibly valuable. I like how you say that because I've learned over the years that, and maybe you'll lament with this, maybe you won't, but I feel like as soon as I personally say it out loud, oh. whether mm-hmm. it's sometimes it's to the wall, you know, sometimes I don't have a rubber duck <laughs> yeah, there or whatever. Yeah. But uh, I feel like the moment you say something passionately from your conviction, from your heart, yes. you believe it, right? It could mm-hmm. be anything, you know, it could be describing how it should work and you get your own right. aha moment. You don't really need any sort of reciprocation from the person you're working with. So I feel right. like the moment you get a chance to speak out loud right. is when things happen. Or you mm-hmm. think you have a great idea, and then you say it out loud, and you're like, yeah, actually, when sucked. I say it out loud, that's a yeah. terrible idea. <laughs> that's awful. Yeah. Then, yeah. then you're embarrassed. You're like, ah, I wish I didn't say that at all. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You think I'm just talking to a wall. Yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. You know, something that you said, Saran, about your shadowing experience, uh, this was back when you were, I think you said you were going to be a doctor. Is that right? Yes, I was pre-med. My parents were very proud of me. Parents were very proud, pre-med, mm-hmm. shadowing. And you said that's when you hit this point where you were like, I, I know I don't like this thing. What was that yeah. like to be like, where you let down, where they let down? Was it hard? What was the experience like trying to step away from, you know, that's a pretty ambitious and courageous, you know, kind of career. Yeah, it was awful. Um, it was really, really rough. Yeah. So I, I, I shadowed this cardiologist for a couple times. Um, most of the time it was just him, you know, talking to patients. And I just sat in the room and just listened. Um, one time I actually got to scrub into a surgery. That was actually really awesome. I had to wear, you know, that big lead suit thing you wear to protect your private parts. Yes. I had to wear one of those. It was so heavy. That's when I realized how weak I was. And (laughs) I had to just, you know, stand in the corner for like hours just watching them cut this guy's chest open and put a, what in the world is it called? I think it was a pacemaker in it. Mm. And it was insane. It was, it was like the craziest thing I ever saw. But even with that, I still didn't want to be a doctor. So, you know, at that point I was pretty convinced it wasn't for me. Um, But it was really hard. You know, I, I felt like I'd I, I worked so hard in college. I worked so, so hard. And by the time I graduated in four years, by the time I graduated, I had enough credits to get three full degrees. 
Um, that's how hard I worked. And, wow. you know, I was very active. I stayed up very late. I sacrificed my social life. And, um, and at the end of it, I was like, crap, I have no idea what I'm going to do now. Um, and it was, you know, it was really disappointing for me. It was incredibly disappointing for my parents, especially when, you know, I went from well-paying, secure job as a doctor to journalist. You know, that wasn't, that was not fun. Um, but I think that as sad as I was and as disappointed as I was, I knew that eventually I would figure it out and getting through the, you know, the crappy parts where you haven't quite figured it out was way harder than I thought it would be. But eventually I knew I'd get there. And I just asked, you know, my parents and, you know, my friends and all that to just be patient with me as I figured it out. But yeah, it was, it was hard because I was always, you know, among my family and my friends, I was always the one who did things right and who planned ahead and who was really organized and had her crap together. And then I just didn't. And dealing with that was, it was rough. But maybe you said this, and maybe I missed it. But uh, when did it? When did you actually find the software side of you? Yeah, so I found it. I guess so. I read the Steve Jobs book a year after I graduated college, um, and then I got my first startup job. Yeah, I think it was actually just about a year after I graduated. And then I where, where was that went, job at? That was at Contently. Okay, still around? They're still around, yeah. Wow. It's like the, I know. <laughs> <laughs> I say the name, people are like, oh, I, th- I think I've heard of that. I'm like, yes, yeah. we, they made it. Or they're making it currently. Yeah. Um, and I think it was two, two years after that where I actually started learning to code. So you ended up at Flatiron Academy, which is it a um, 12-week program? Flatiron School, and yes, it was a 12-week program. Me, Flatiron School. Mm-hmm. Uh, 12-week program, full-time, $11,000, as you said. Huge, huge jump there, right? Yeah, Yeah, just jump in. Yeah. Um, Which kind of seems to be something that you just kind of do. You just, you seem like you just jump in. Yeah. Um, Because you got out of Flatiron on the other side of it, and not before long, you're doing conference talks, you're on the Ruby Rogues. Um, Did it all move really fast uh, once you got into Flatiron? No, it all felt very slow. Um, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm very, very impatient. Um, so things never come as fast as or, or you know, as, um, as quickly as I want them to. But I'm, I'm very all or nothing when it comes to really everything that I do. So, you know, if I decide I'm going to be a developer, I'm going to be a developer and I'm going to be in as many places as I can. I'm going to be as involved as I can. I'm going to give everything I have to it. Um, and so speaking and podcasting and code newbie and all that, you know, just falls into the same bucket. Um, you know, what was what was the hard part for me specifically with the speaking was, you know, I applied to RailsConf, I think it was two months after graduating from the program. And I no way expected to be considered and, you know, to have my, my proposal taken seriously. Um, I actually didn't even like my own proposal, but I submitted anyway. And for me, the I knew that it was a step I had to take. I knew that the act of filling out the form and putting my idea on paper and pressing submit, that was the act that I wanted to do because that for me was really, really, really hard. Um, That was like my most imposter moment that, that I've had so far. And just, you know, when I think of a speaker, I think of someone who's an expert who's been doing it for years, someone you look up to. I have, you know, very big expectations for that title. And the the idea that I dare, you know, submit myself to be one of those people was just a huge mental hurdle that I just knew I had to get over. 
And so for me, the real win wasn't the speaking. It was pressing the submit button. Wow. How did the speaking go? <laughs> so um, I think I threw up the night before. And uh, then I got my period during. immediately after. So that was fun. Um, <laughs> yeah, I it was... Oh my God, I was so nervous. I was shaking the entire time. Apparently, you can't tell from the video, which is great. And I found out that I have... Um, I do this nervous thing where when I when I speak, I actually clench my butt cheeks really hard okay. to the point where my left one twitches. So you that's found what I this was out like. while you're on stage. I did. I'm like, why is it twitching? Oh, because I'm clenching them because I'm so nervous. Uh, so that's what speaking is like. I have to commend you on being so forward about things <laughs> that could be embarrassing or probably are embarrassing. Yeah, you know. Whatever, right? I think. Yeah, whatever. I mean, it's already happened. What are you, what are you going to do? It doesn't come through on the video, so who cares? No, <laughs> no one sees Good. it twitching. <laughs> exactly. What a great place to have like a nervous tick, right? Like yeah. on your butt where no one can see. It's great. Yep. Well, let's, uh, let's pause here. I know we want to dive deeper into the story of Code Newbie, where this came from, uh, all that. But uh, we have some awesome sponsors that make this show possible. And if you're out there and you're thinking, man, I love the changelog. I want to support you guys. Well, one, we have memberships, but we also have sponsors. And we don't just put these on here to pay the bills. We put them on here because these are awesome companies we love, and we want you to love them too. So check them out. If you like what they're doing, support them, and that's supporting us. So let's take a break. You've heard me talk about TopTal several times on this podcast, and TopTal is by far the best place to work as a freelance software developer. Well, they have this term, elite engineer. And that defines the kind of software developer that works at TopTal. I had a chance to sit down and talk to Brendan Beneshot, the co-founder and COO of TopTal, and I asked him, Brendan, what is an elite engineer? Take a listen. An elite engineer for us is somebody who satisfies all the technical requirements um, that you would need in a, in a great developer if you're working at like a, like a Google or Facebook. But then at TopTal, you have to add this extra layer on top of it to make sure that people are uh, mature enough and professional enough to be totally self-directed and so making sure that they take a tremendous amount of uh, pride in their work and that they're accountable and very very communicative because in remote freelancing that's sometimes just as important as being technically competent all right if brendan got you excited about being an elite engineer at TopTal, head to toptal.com developers that's t-o-p-t-a-l.com developers to learn more and tell them the cheese load sent you all right, we're back from that awesome break. We got Saran here. We've got embarrassing moments. We've got uh, <laughs> potential doctorates, uh, new communities forming, uh, nervous twitches we didn't know we had. And then we got this new community, Code Newbie, and it's yeah. it's so thriving now. And you said earlier you're kind of glad you didn't come on earlier because the show's gotten better, but you've yep. also grown the community quite a bit. But we like to go back to the beginning where things first first began, and I think you said it started on Twitter. So maybe start there with with uh, if that's where the where it began for you. Yeah, that's that's where it began. You know, I saw a lot of people doing Twitter chats, and if you if you don't know what a Twitter chat is, it's when you pick a time. You know, we do ours on nine p.m. on Wednesdays at nine p.m. Eastern time, and you pick a hashtag. So our hashtag is Code Newbie, C O D E N E W B I E. 
and we tweet questions for one hour and anybody can answer. So we have a system where we'll say, you know, Q1 is what language are you coding? And then you respond A1 and that allows people to easily follow the conversation. And so we did that for a while. And when we started, you know, I had absolutely zero plans to start a community or a podcast or team projects or any of that. You know, I just wanted, I I saw something that I thought was interesting. I saw something that I thought would help people. And so I just started tweeting and I emailed everyone that I knew and I said, Hey, I'm starting this thing. You know, you should totally jump in and join the chat. I'd love for you to tell your friends and tweet about it. And, uh, that's where it all started. And eventually it got to a point where, uh, it needed to really be its own thing where people were using the hashtag outside of that one hour and people would tweet us questions and would, well, specifically would tweet questions using the hashtag and would have conversations around the hashtag. So I thought, you know, it makes more sense for Code Newbie to have its own Twitter account and to kind of be its own thing. And then we can talk about being a Code Newbie full time without it being directly tied to my account. Um, and so that's kind of what happened next. Um, and, you know, it's one of those things that I thought would last maybe a couple months. But it just, it kept going and people kept coming back and people started adding it to their calendars and people were really looking forward to it. So that's how we got started. Hmm. Seems like you really struck a chord because there's so many more new developers now than there even were a few years ago. Some thanks to uh, the boot camp, some thanks to the you know incredible demand that we have in the industry and also because it's awesome, like you said. Um, did you know there are so many of them out there when you got started? Yeah, yeah, I did. Um, I, I I knew because I just being you know a part of the Flatiron School and a part of the team there. Like I knew I knew the number of applicants who were applying. I'd done mm-hmm. a good amount of research on other boot camps and other online programs as well, and I knew their numbers. I knew how many people were looking to apply. I I've seen the tweets. I've read the articles. So I knew that there were definitely enough. There was definitely enough demand to have a thriving community. I didn't necessarily think that. I would be the one that started that community, but I knew mm-hmm. that a community was there somewhere. Yeah. But you had a voice. I mean, you were you had your your conference talks to give you a voice, and then you were also a regular on the Ruby Rogues. I think you yeah. were gone for a while and you seem to be back now. Uh, yeah, I got guilted. I got yeah, I got guilted into coming back. Avdi um Avdi Grimm sent me an email and he was like, Yeah, I know you're really busy, but I really miss having you. It'd be really good if you came back. And I said, Well, if Avdi asked, then yeah. I think I have to say yes. <laughs> right. You can't say no to Avdi. <laughs> then I came back. So right. Maybe speak right. to that experience a little bit because here you are, you're fl- you're you're fresh out of code school, of a code school. Um and you have, you know, like you said, you have a moment of imposter syndrome. Um, you're very much a beginner when it comes to an experience of programming. Mm-hmm. And then you're you're invited onto, or maybe you can even say how you came onto the show of a panel show of like very expert developers. Um, can you speak to that experience? Yeah, that was uh, that was very surprising. Um, so as part of the bootcamp experience, we're expected to blog about what we learn. And the very first thing that I blogged was on a talk that was credited to. Um, to uh, to Matsu, you know, made who who wrote Ruby, and but it was the wrong person. It was actually a talk given by James Edward Gray, and I wrote my reflection and my feelings about the talk, um, and it kind of went a little bit more emotionally deeper than I think I meant to when I first started writing it. And he read it. Maybe it was like seven or eight months after that, and he said, "Hey, I read your blog post. I really like it." 
Um, it was the talk that you wrote about was actually by me. And I was like, oh, that's equally awesome. Um, and he saw my Rails comp talk, which came out by that time. And he saw my cartoon, which I, I drew to get into the Flatiron School. And then it, you know, he invited me onto the show and he said, you know, I'd love to hear more about your experience and what that was like. So I came on as a guest to start. And around that time, they were starting this kind of three-month guest panel. They called it, I think we called it like a Rogue in Residence um, program where, you know, they have different people coming on for three months at a time. And so they really liked the show that I did and they had me on for just a three-month period. And then after that, they wanted to keep me on. So they they asked me to to become a full panelist. And that was... I think that was the second most terrifying thing that I've done in code so far. Because every week I had to show up and talk to these incredible people about stuff I didn't really know about <laughs> and, you know, try yeah. to follow along as much as I can and try to be, you know, to to be present without sounding too stupid and too beginnerish. Um, mm -hmm. And it was, I mean, it, it was really hard. It was really, really hard. But just like submitting that talk, I did it not necessarily because I enjoyed it every week, but because I knew that that was a really big step for my career. And I knew that it would help me in the long run. So I, I kind of took my feelings, I put them you know, in a drawer and I closed it. And I said, you just stop it. I can't deal with you right <laughs> now. I have work to it. do. <laughs> <laughs> my husband likes to tell me to um to punch my feelings in the face. Uh so that's kind of what I did. I punched him in the face until they would they subdued. So <laughs> Love that. Love that. Punch yeah. him in the face. Punch so him in we, the face. Yeah, I mean probably what you had to tell yourself and 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 maybe you see it now is that actually uh, a beginner's perspective is a breath of fresh air to to people who have been in the industry for a long time. And um you know, when you came on that show, it was an angle. It was a it was a new perspective on things that nobody else there could bring. Because as an expert, you can't you can't feign you know uh, uh, fresh eyes. You don't have them. Yeah. It's you can't. It's, it's very difficult uh, to even to empathize and go back. You try. Mm -hmm. um, and so maybe that explained a little bit of of your success there. So very good job punching your feelings in the face <laughs> <laughs> and uh, really facing just facing the fear. Um, yeah, because that gave you a little bit of a platform and mm -hmm. a, a visibility as a very like respected newbie. Yeah, um, in kind of the greater you know software scene. So Definitely. then you decided Twitter's not quite good enough. Mm -hmm. um, we want deeper conversations. I'm going to turn this into a podcast. Mm -hmm. Can you speak to some of your your early podcasting? Yeah, sure. So. We do our Twitter chats very differently from how other people do them. So if you follow other people's Twitter chats, what they usually do <clears throat> what they usually do is they'll bring on a guest and they'll do an interview with the guest using the hashtag and then other people can chime in and ask questions as well. And I think that's just a terrible way of using Twitter. I don't think Twitter is meant to have interviews. I don't think you're meant to have deep, you know, conversations. I think you're meant to tweet and have little conversation starters. And so, you know, what happened was we had all these really great conversations happening, but they weren't being explored. They weren't being captured. There wasn't a way to really dive deep. So, uh, and, you know, I previously I worked at NPR and I've worked at NPR member stations. And so I, I always wanted to get back into audio and I thought, great, I'll, this is, this is like how I'll do that. I'll, I'll start my own podcast. <clears throat> And the the podcast setup process 
was really was really hard. Uh, I don't know how it was for you guys when you you know decided on what tools you were going to use, hard. but yeah, it's really I hard. To Adam. Yeah, it's not easy. I mean, yeah. <laughs> it it's never it never gets easier, but it it was hard in the beginning. It's still yeah. hard now. Yeah, and you know my um, so my husband does. He's a techie as well. He's not a developer, but he loves technology. Does a lot of tech stuff, and he loves you know audio and video editing and knows a ton about that stuff. And so we spent almost every evening for about a month trying out different tools and different recording software and different ways to upload audio. We tried so many different combinations before we found the one that worked and before we found the one that we really liked. And, um, you know, I wanted to make sure my audio sounded as high quality as it could. And I wanted to make sure the guest audio was as good as it could be as well. And so there's just a lot of trial and error. And now that we have a process set up, it's, it's fairly straightforward. But, you know, um, I think it was two weeks ago, he went to visit some family in Florida. And so I had to do one of my interviews on my own. And we usually run all of the, you know, the, the server and the upload and, and all that stuff on his computer. And um, this time we had to do it on mine. So we had to redo all that setup on my computer. And there were just so many pieces. Like I'd forgotten how many pieces there were to get it to work. And a lot of people ask me, you know, I'm looking to start my own podcast. What equipment do you use? And I have, you know, this set email that I've just, you know, copy and, and send out to people. And there are a lot of steps to it. Um, so it was it was really hard, but I really wanted to do it. And I, I love just the excuse of getting to talk to so many incredible people from you know all over the world doing really interesting things and being able to just sit and ask questions. That's just, I mean, that's such a great job to have. You just sit and you're the one that knows the least and everyone loves that, you know, and, and getting to, to really ping people about their lives. It's, it's awesome. I'm curious to know, a, a bit more about the tools and the pieces to your process. Yeah. Ultimately, I'd like you to tell that story that you told us in the pre-call, if you don't mind. But I'd like to start <laughs> with the process, if uh, if you can. Sure. So we use Mumble. Do you guys know Mumble? I don't no. know Mumble. Mumble. So it is a. It's basically like a like a Skype. And it was actually created for gamers. Um, so a lot of gamers use it when you're, I don't know how games work, but I assume there's a lot of people and they need to talk to each other sometimes. Oh, so they yes. use it for that. <laughs> yeah, I think that's how that works. Um, and so a lot of people have repurposed Mumble for podcasting for really two reasons. One, there's a record button directly on Mumble. And when you do record, it records your local copy, not what comes through the internet, which is nice. So you don't get that, you know, that pre-prod, that, processed stuff right uh, and then two it records in multi-channel so when the guest is recording they're recording their local stream separate from your internet stream so it's super easy it's just one place that we don't have to open up you know different software to to do the podcast so you um, record everybody then or everybody records themselves yes. okay everyone records everyone yep Exactly. Okay. Um, and so that's what we use for that. And then, and so we run the Mumble server usually off of my husband's computer. And then everyone, uh, and then we you know, have them connect to, um, to, to us. And then we use, do you know Pideo? No. It's a program for Linux that does really easy um, like file uploads. Um, and so we have that also set up on um, on Ubuntu on his computer, and then that's where people upload stuff as well. And then for editing, we use Audition. And so it's not so much that these you know pieces themselves are complex. It was more about so for Mumble, one of the other benefits to it is you get really really granular control over your audio settings, and we had to figure out what the right settings were. 
And it took a lot of trial and error to figure out what the right settings were. And the the very, very first podcast episode we did, we did not have the right settings at all. And luckily, the person that I did it with is actually a person who started the Twitter chat with me way back when. And um, his name is Carlos Lazo, really great guy, really great developer. And when we did it, you know, I, I picked him one because he's a great story and he's awesome, but also because I knew that if I had to re-record or if anything went wrong, you know, he'd be the most understanding person. And so when we interviewed the first time, all the settings were terrible. We had to re-record the whole thing, threw it away. The second time that we did it, he sounded fine, but I sounded like crap. And so I had to basically redub myself, which was really awkward because it was you know, over an hour's worth of a conversation. And I had to fake all the laughing and all the sighs and the pauses and the breaks. And I also wanted to time it so that the timing kind of just fit in with the existing time. Um, And so I did that. And then my audio was still totally wrong. uh, Mm. And I was basically clipping the entire time. And I said to myself, I can't believe I have to do this a third time. So I did it again. And I had a transcript of everything I said. And I'm just like... Intuitiveness. (laughs) I was like, we are getting this right. This is drive at, at its best right here. <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean, you really wanted to do this show. Doing it again. I really wanted to do this show. I really wanted to do it well. And so, you know, I'm doing it and I'm just going, yes, that was great. Ha, ha, ha. And it sounds, oh, it sounds so awful. And I put it out. And um, for the most part, people liked it. But then I got this one tweet that was like, that sounded really scripted. And I'm thinking, that's because it was. It's halfway scripted. It's dub scripted. Like that's this is based thing. on a true story. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> <laughs> that's how I should have introduced it. Darn. Oh, that'd have been great. This is what would be great would be like a B sides where you release another track, only you change all of the things that you say. To make his answers be completely ridiculous, <laughs> be part of the greatest hits. That's going to be uh, going to be podcast number two, <laughs> and it'll just be taking the interviews and making them sound ridiculous. I think my guests would really like that. I think they so. Might. I think the they listeners might. probably would. <laughs> yeah, I got to give you credit because I I just recorded like a three second redub, didn't I, Adam? Yes. And I couldn't do like three seconds. <laughs> I'm like, this is pathetic. He even had the visual to go with it because it was it was a redub for a piece that he did on video. And the audio wasn't perfect, but what he said was yeah. good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so if he can get the rhythm right and he get the enunciation right yeah. and the enthusiasm right, it would be a win. Right. But it was kind of tough, I wasn't it, Jerry? Yeah. And then you're like, can you do it again? I'm like, I'm going to be here all night. <laughs> I can imagine doing an hour show. Oh, it was grueling. Do you have it scripted, Jared? What do you mean? I mean, do you no. know what you said? Oh, do I know what could I you said? G- could you give us a, a tease right now of what Ooh. you said? No, that was Tuesday. I flushed my RAM. So. Uh, <laughs> I've rebooted since then. Sorry. <laughs> Got to the RAM. Well, that's very interesting. I mean, it's an interesting way to start because uh, I, mean, I think there are so many people out there that would love to, to do something with podcasting because it is a fun medium. Mm-hmm. Like you said before, it's really mm-hmm. fun to be the person to ask the questions and you get to really meet a lot of interesting people depending upon the show type that you have. Mm-hmm. And yep. I think it, there are so many unknowns. There's so many technological unknowns. There's so many audio unknowns. There's so many mm-hmm. personal unknowns. Like, can I actually perform? Can mm-hmm. I actually do it three times? Yeah. You know, yeah. things like that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, what's interesting is um, 
I so in the beginning, so when I worked at NPR, I wrote the scripts, which means that I interviewed the guests ahead of time. I wrote all the questions. I did all the research, and the host. So I wrote for Michelle Martin uh, for the show Tell Me More, and she would you know read from that script and then you know ad lib as much as you know she wanted to, and so I went into the podcasting. Um, world thinking I needed to write a script every time. And I did, re- you know, I did like an hour of research on every guest and wrote out the questions, da, da, da. And it honestly didn't go as well as I wanted. And over time, I learned to trust myself and I learned to, I, and right now I don't script. I don't even, I'll, I'll do a quick Google search just so I have main highlights. But I realized that I do a lot better as a podcaster when I know very little about the guest, when mm-hmm. I know just enough to ask the right questions, but I don't know the answers because then I can naturally take the conversation where the listener wants it to go because I'm reacting and I'm not planning. And that to me was really surprising. I'm with you there because I've been in the same position. I've had other shows before besides this show here, the change log. And uh, there's times when we script it just to give us guidelines, not to script it. Right. Exactly. And I think that's, that's the better ground like if you're going to do anything give yourself some got some guardrails to like operate around you know like mm-hmm. jared and i we prepare sometimes a couple of days in advance sometimes you know 30 minutes in advance of the yep. show and it's not so much like preparation like we know who the guest is we know what they're about but we haven't sat down together as co-hosts and sunk and figured out like mm-hmm. okay this is my angle this is your angle how are we sunk? you know sank sunk sunk <laughs> up i don't know synced Synced up. Synced sunk up. sounds like you know we're in a boat and we're gonna we sunk. <laughs> Which sometimes we may well, do that. Scratch that and make sense of it. <laughs> synced, synced, synced it up. Synced. We synced it up synced and then exactly. uh, uh, you know, but but the th- but the thing is, is like I did this the same thing with another show I had called Founders Talk, where mm-hmm. I would do an hour an hour of research and I would figure out the fa- the backstory and figure out all these different details. And I did have certain questions I did want to script because mm-hmm. I wanted to ask the certain way, but I still let the conversation play into Just it go yep, yeah exactly yeah and so i knew how i wanted to ask the exact question but how i worded it when it all came out the the question kind of came out the, the way i scripted it but the way i spoke that fragment of the show mm-hmm. wasn't scripted yeah so yeah and god but i was gonna say like there's a lot of technical pieces there's a lot of like there's so many nuances to podcasting that make it a tough job but mm-hmm. at the same time a very fun and rewarding job Yeah, I think that people underestimate how many hours it takes. I don't know how long it takes for for you guys, but between booking, the actual interview, editing and publishing, I think we spend about six to seven hours a week on it. Um, And, you know, for for our editing, we spend between two and three times the length of the show. So if we have, you know, an hour show, well, there's your there's your three hours. Um, and, and I think that doing that consistently is hard. And I know that a lot of people have started podcasts and kind of fallen off because they do it mm. the first time and realize, holy crap, there's, I gotta, I gotta process this and I gotta put it in all the podcast directories and I have to publish it on the website and I have to do show notes. And there's, there are a lot of pieces that go into it. And yeah. then there are people who don't care about those pieces and they do a quick 20 minute show and they don't do any editing at all. I'm not one of those people. I'm way too much of a perfectionist to to be okay with that. Um, and I think if you do it that way, it's less work. But even then, it's it's definitely a commitment. So there's two sides to that coin. Uh, we can go deep, deep into this topic. And I'm, I've kind of been on both sides where I used to edit. I used to edit ums, ahs. I used to make it perfect. 
And then after a while, I was like, this is going to kill me. This is going to burn me out. It, <laughs> it made me start yeah. hating podcasting because it was so much work. And I started to live with the, uh, like I told you before, like if your husband steps in when he comes back, uh, yeah. that's okay. We're going to, we're going to roll with it. Let's, let's okay. uh, embrace our mistakes, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And there's a term in radio called live to tape. And mm-hmm. uh, yep. it's essentially just taking what you do live and putting it right on tape and not doing much editing or any editing at all. Uh, you know, maybe you do some EQing or, you know, if it's visual, you do some color correction or whatever, but it's mm-hmm. pretty much what it is is what it is. It's gone to the door. And I like, I like that approach with the option to edit a little bit, but yes. not the ums and the ahs and not mm-hmm. to make like Jared's question come perfectly after mine at the perfect, you know, mm-hmm. half a second or millisecond later. It's more, it's more like just to make sense of the matter so that it is yeah. a good show and it's listenable. And that's, that's sort of our angle when we come to, to our edits and our edits, just so everybody knows, are probably about at least one time the length of the show because you got to listen to it. That's pretty good. But we watch the timeline. We know that where the breaks are at and we've gotten to the point where we know. And I would say maybe at least the length of the show and a half or, you know, twice, twice the length of the show. So if it's an hour show, two hours edit, but that's on, mm-hmm. that's rare. Two hour edit. Rare. So when you, when you, do you all like timestamp and know where the breaks are and stuff? Like, are you doing that right now as we're speaking? Well, when the breaks, so we take some sponsor breaks during the show. I just mm-hmm. uh, look at the sound wave and, and say, mm-hmm. okay, well, there's yeah. emptiness there. Or, you know, I, I listen to it. I jump around the timeline and I just mm-hmm. sort of know how long, uh, like, for example, we're four minutes past taking a break, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. We should have taken a break four minutes ago. And I, I know when the breaks are in our show. So because mm-hmm. of that, it's easier for me to sit, you know, to sit in the editor chair later on and say, well, a break should have been around this space here. Let me jump yeah. to that part of the timeline and listen. And I, and that's that's where I don't have to listen to the whole show. I just listen to like two or three minutes of different segments. Mm-hmm. And uh, I mean, that's that's sort of, I think you just kind of get that through experience. Just like with programming, you know, you get with experience, yeah. you know, new uh, new superpowers, so to speak. Yeah. So for the, the ums and ahs, we generally, we don't edit them out unless they're distracting. So if we have a speaker who just does it so often that it takes away from the message, then we'll start removing those to just, you know, gather the message a little bit better. And we also kill a lot of dead air. Um, Oh, it's funny. So as we're talking about audio editing, my husband's about to walk in. Hey, babe. You want to say hi? We'll edit this all out. Nah. (laughs) (laughs) We'll leave it in there. Leave it in there. That's the whole point, right? (laughs) Well, we just we just entered him anyways. He kind of is a cameo. He is a cameo. You want to say hi real quick? This is the Changelog podcast. You can say hi. <laughs> he ran away. <laughs> he ran away. He got bite. really scared and then he ran away. <laughs> well, maybe that's a sign to take a break then. Let's, uh, let's take that break. I said we were late for to listen to a sponsor. Uh, again, we love our sponsors. They're super awesome. And if you want to support us, support us by supporting them. Uh, when we come back, uh, there's a couple more questions I'd like to talk to you about around your podcast. And it's really, well, not just your podcast, but like where you're going with Code Newbie. And I think you mm-hmm. might have the same questions, Jared. I'm not, yep. I'm, I'm going to assume that. But uh, then we have another topic we'll dive into. But let's let's start there when we come back from this break and we'll go from there. So we're back. For those out there working solo or on a team tracking time, you thought you were wrapping up a project until the client or your boss asked for a new feature at the last minute, and here you are stuck. You're not sure how much time you're spending on every feature, how much time you're spending on bug fixes or tweaks. Well, Harvest is a time tracking tool built for understanding 
where your time is going. And for developers, it takes the pain out of time tracking. Just install the Harvest Chrome extension and you can start tracking time right from issues in Jira or GitHub and you won't have to go searching for your timesheet. Not only will you understand how much time you're spending on client work, you'll also be able to turn your billable hours into an invoice from Harvest in minutes. Harvest integrates with Stripe and PayPal to make sure you get paid fast and on time. There's built-in reporting in Harvest that lets you see how much time your projects took, so you can use that information to make better estimates in the future. For a better way to track time and invoice your clients and take the pain out of what you're doing when it comes to tracking time and invoicing, head to getharvest.com, create a 30-day free trial, and after your trial is over, here's a goodie for all of our listeners. Enter the code CHANGELOG to save 50% off your first month. Once again, getharvest.com, create a free 30-day trial, and after that trial is over, enter the code CHANGELOG for 50% off your first month. Enjoy. We are back with Saran, Code Newbie, this great story. I am, Jared, I don't know about you, but I'm amazed. Honestly, I'm, I'm so excited to have her on the show, and I'm so excited about this story. Like, it, it just doesn't seem to uh, get any better, I guess. But, um, <laughs> Saran, you said with Code Newbie, when it, when it started, you did mm-hmm. some market research. You kind of knew the opportunity. Jared, you asked the question about how, you know, how wide and vast the developer space is and right. what opportunities you might have to educate and teach and lead newbies. So I'm wondering, I don't really know how to ask the question, but I kind of want to open up the topic of the business side, right? There is some sustainability. We've talked about open source sustainability on the show before. There's some sustainability to what you're doing. And I'm kind of curious um, with that research and with what you're doing, if you thought about how can you do this for not yeah. just now, the future. And so what are some of the things you're doing to, to make it sustainable? Yeah. So I'm, I'm very, very lucky to have such a great, mostly volunteer team. Um, so my husband actually, so I got to a point in, in the podcasting where I got really annoyed editing and I looked at him and I said, I'm about to just hire, cause I used to do all the editing myself. And I said, I'm, I'm about to just hire somebody to do this for me. Um, and he said, no, don't worry about it. I'll do it myself. So, you know, every Sunday evening I, I poke him and I go, remember how you do the podcast this week? So I'm very lucky to have him, um, take care of that part for me. We also have a volunteer community manager. All of our team project leads are volunteers. We actually just opened up two local in-person Code Newbie meetups. We have one in Austin and we have one that we announced uh, very recently in Atlanta. And those are also, you know, volunteer organizers. So I'm, I'm so, so lucky that everyone, for the most part, everyone that I'm working with and that has helped came to me. And it wasn't me saying, you know, I need a team lead for this. Who's available? It was them saying, hey, I really want to get involved and I want to help out. I want to bring this to my community. I want to bring this to JavaScript. I want to, you know, I want to take on a leadership role. What can I do? Um, and so I think that, you know, when you, when you asked about market research and this community, I think that there's such... There's so many people who are excited about making that transition and so many people who are just really excited and really passionate to to be creators for, you know, possibly the first time in their lives and getting involved is, you know, it's it's a huge it's a huge honor for them. Um, and I think that's a huge part in this in the sustainability question. Um, we also do, we also just did a, a Patreon account. So we do accept, you know, donations if anyone's interested in supporting it's patreon.com slash code newbie. And we also do sponsors on the podcast itself. So, uh, those resources have been really helpful. I think that for me, 
the biggest question has been, you know, where does Code Newbie go? What is it going to become? And uh-huh. it took me, honestly, a really long time to really understand what it was. You know, when I told people about Code Newbie, a lot of people assumed that it was ed tech. You know, they said, oh, you can turn it into an education startup. And that always made me very uncomfortable. And it wasn't until recently that I, I understood that better. And I think it's because we're not really solving an education problem. There is not a lack of resources when it comes to learning to code. Uh There's a lack of empathy and community Uh and people. Right, exactly. And so the problem that we're solving is not education, it's loneliness. You know, it's, it's just that feeling of, you know, being completely overwhelmed by this incredible thing that you want to do and you feel like you can't. That's the problem that we're solving for. And once I was able to crystallize that and really focus on that, it became about making sure that the space we've created, the community that we've created continues to be incredibly positive. When I tweet from, you know, about like half the tweets from Code Newbie come from me and the other half come from our community manager. When I tweet on Code Newbie, I take on a very specific persona. Um, I am the ultimate cheerleader. You know, any tweet that I have, it's my responses are, are filled with exclamation points and smiley faces. And, you know, we try to celebrate all of the little wins, all the big wins. And it's really, really important for me to be overly positive and overly enthusiastic. And that has really, <clears throat> that has really defined the community in every aspect of what we do. And so I think that as far as sustainability, it's about being very clear about who we are and what we want to do and continuing to nurture that. Uh, do you have an end game? Do you have a master goal that you're trying to reach? I do and I don't. Um, my master goal is to is to give anyone who wants to learn to code a group of people that they can lean on, that they can reach out to, a group of people who will cheer them on, who will share resources, who will help them get unstuck, who will help them feel less alone. The way that we do that is going to change with the needs of the community. So, you know, we did the podcast in response to this need of diving deeper into conversations. We started the team projects a couple of months ago in response to the need where, you know, when you learn to code on your own, you are not, you know, by virtue of being on your own, you're not in a collaborative setting. You're probably not doing pull requests and code reviews. You probably don't, you know, you don't have a Trello board. You, you don't have a lot of these very essential tools that are part of being a professional developer. And so we created these team projects to create this very, very friendly collaborative experience where you do have to do code reviews and you have to do pull requests and you, you know, you have to contribute and you have to pick up an issue. And that was a response to a need that we saw. So I think that the needs of the community will involve and our goal is to make sure that we're there to to make sure everyone is happy and learning. How do you feel that's been that's been going so far? You've you've obviously grown uh quite a bit beyond just yourself, even just looking at your blog. I mean, I don't see you on here at all, Saran. You have so many contributors, Kaya Thomas, yeah. Philip Gray, Jamal Hansen, Jonathan Colin. Farish, Kashif, and uh, yeah, oh, sorry. <laughs> like just so many yeah. people writing and like it's it's already seems like such a vibrant community. Um, I'm curious if there's a language to divide. I see you have Ruby Monday. Obviously you have a background in mm-hmm. um, what you've been taught in Ruby and Ruby on Rails, I'm assuming. Yeah. Um, there's Python Thursday and, you know, there's Code Newbies in all these different camps and if you're a, a code newbie learning 
um, Java, like maybe you still yeah. might feel alienated. Um, have you have you tried to bridge those gaps? Yeah, I mean there there are many different ways. <clears throat> there are many different ways in the community where you can feel excluded. I think that the language is definitely a big one. Um, I mm -hmm. think in the beginning, especially for the podcast guests, you know, my network specifically is in the Ruby community. So I, I, I honestly didn't even notice it, but I ended up having a lot of Ruby developers in the beginning of the show. Um, and I think someone called me out on that on Twitter and I was like, crap, I need to not do that. So I said, okay, I will not have Ruby developer for the next 10 shows, you know, and I kind of gave myself a little <laughs> quota. Um, and now I think that we've had slightly more front-end developers. Now I got to get back to the back-end. So, you know, I'm, I'm constantly <laughs> thinking of, you know, uh -huh. making sure I have a diversity of people when it comes to, you know, race and gender, but also skill set and experience and age and background and all these different things. So I think that it's really, really hard to have a community where 100% of the people you want to reach out to are being cater to. A big one for us is also time zones. Everything that we do is very, very US centric. And I've had a lot of people, you know, tweet at us and say, oh, it'd be really great if we could start a, a Twitter chat, like have two Twitter chats, you know, one in the morning and one in the evening. So people in, you know, different parts of Europe can join in. And for a while, I really wanted to, I wanted to cater to that. And I really wanted to get as many people into it as I could. And I find that that is, it's really hard. It's really hard to make everyone happy. And so what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to listen as much as I can and to to understand what the major pain points and the major subjects are and build around that. Um, and so for us, you know, U.S. is U.S. time zones are obviously the easiest for me, the easiest for most of our team. And so we're probably going to continue to be U.S. centric for, for a while, unfortunately. Um, mm -hmm. Ruby, JavaScript, and Python are three languages we picked because those were the three languages that most people were learning. And so eventually if we get big enough and there's enough demand for a Java or a, a Swift or Swift, a whatever yeah. it is. Yeah, and actually Swift is one I would really like to start because I know a lot of people are, are looking into that. Yeah. Um, I'm open to it, but it's a matter of, you know, with limited resources and this being a part-time thing for me, how can I best serve the community with what I have? Yeah, so part-time kind of rings a bell because uh, you do have a full-time job. This is yeah. this is not your your day job. Um, it's my night job. It's your night job. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so you have yeah. two jobs going, and <laughs> uh, one of them, uh, interestingly, is at Microsoft. And mm -hmm. I'm trying to pull up the title Tech Jobs Academy. Yep. Can you tell us about uh, your work with Microsoft? Sure. Uh, so that role I, I got directly because of Code Newbie. Um, a, a person, Tom Black, who works at 18F in DC had been you know keeping up with Code Newbie and, and the work that I've done. And he found out about this position and he emailed me and said, hey, you know, I've, I've seen the work that you've been doing for the coding community. There's a position where they're starting an, a, um, a technical training program, a boot, a boot camp style technical training program. It's four months. It's full time. It's free. It's serving underemployed and unemployed New York City residents, which sounds very similar in spirit to what you're doing, you know, with Code Newbie. So if you're interested, I'd be happy to recommend you. And I looked at that and I got, and I, you know, I looked at it and I said, I cannot 
believe this is a job. Like, I can't believe that the thing that I'm doing on the side uh-huh. is, you know, <laughs> is a job that I can get paid for and have the support of, you know, a, a really big tech company for. Um, right. So I was, I was incredibly, incredibly excited uh, to interview and to take that position. Um, so yeah, it's a four month program. We're doing it in partnership with CUNY, which is the community college system in New York and with the city government. Um, so I think it was a year ago, um, the city government pledged $10 million to help in workforce training and specifically to get our residents and to, to get them tech skills that were valuable and that would help them be employable and to get, um, good high paying secure jobs. And it was a $10 million fund called the Tech Talent Pipeline. And we're one of the projects in a portfolio of projects who are working towards that mission. And so, you know, it's four months, it's full time, it's free. We've been doing a lot of community work and community outreach with a lot of organizations who are working in a very similar space of reaching these members. And it's been it's been really interesting to me because my network is primarily in dev, you know, it's in, it's in tech, but on the coding side of tech. Uh-huh. And a lot of my network, it, the networking that I do is online. You know, I, I tweet all the time and a lot of what I love Google Hangouts and, um, you know, and I love just online communication for the most part. And so this was an opportunity to actually talk to people who were on the ground, who were a couple streets away and to meet with them and to look them in the eye and get to really see what they were doing very hands-on. And that to me was very different and really incredible. And I'm, I just, I feel so honored and, and amazed at how much work is being done to help other people get jobs and to find their, their passion and to launch a new career specifically in tech. So wow, that's what that's about. Yeah. Sounds like a great gig. Yeah, it's awesome. It is crazy that that's actually a job, though. I know. I looked at that. It's it's one of those jobs where I I thought, you know, maybe there's something interesting like this that I would get to in a couple of years. But to be able to do it now, you know, at this moment, at this point in my career is it came a lot sooner than I expected. <laughs> but it's been it's been great. So how did you leave or how did you uh, deal with kind of leaving the, the coding world to a certain degree? to take oh, a, a role like that. Sadly, I left it sadly. Um it was it was kind of it was weird and it was weird to explain it um because I don't know, I, I felt like people would think that I was abandoning code that I was only going to be there for a mm-hmm. short amount of time and it wasn't that at all. Um to me this was an opportunity to impact lives in a very 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 tangible way. Um and to throw myself into something that yeah, I, I basically do in my spare time for free. Um, and so that's really where the pull came from. But, you know, I was very clear with my team that, you know, at the at the heart of it, I see myself as a developer first and foremost. And I want to make sure that I'm maintaining those skills and that I'm still getting to code as much as I can. Um, and actually for the past, I think, three weeks, I've been coding like 80% of the time um, nice. that I've been working. So that's been, that's been really great. Yeah. Um, but it's been... It's been, I was worried about it. I think people took it better than I thought. Um, And I think that people really understand what I'm passionate about. And they're more happy for me than they are like disappointed that I'm not in a, you know, in a specifically a coding only job. Mm -hmm. So what about Code Newbie with regard to Tech Jobs Academy? Are there are there synergies there? Are there uh, conflicts of interest? Is there anything like that that you feel between the two institutions? Yeah, it's it's very different, but the spirit is very similar. 
So, you know, for me, a lot of the people in the Kundabi community come from very, very different backgrounds and have very different experiences. I and mean, we have dancers and teachers and truck drivers and, you know, stay at home moms and dads. And we have, you know, veterans and we could just have so many different types of people. And one of the things that most of them have in common is that they're using code as a way to improve their lives. And so in that way, I feel very connected to that mission of helping people improve their lives, you know, provide for their families, build better futures by having a really exciting career that they're passionate about. And so, you know, my favorite parts of meetings that I, I get to have with the city and with Cooney, with other Microsoft team members is when I get to say, you know, as someone who went through this process of going through a three month boot camp and learning how to code, this is what it's like. And I can bring a perspective that really no one else at the table can bring. And I think that is incredibly valuable and being able to not just speak on my experience, but to speak to the experiences of all the people or as many people as I've talked to in our community has been just a really, really great, really great synergy. Hmm. This also introduces me to something I had no idea existed, which is Microsoft New York. <laughs> I was That's figured, a thing. <laughs> I thought Redmond was the, that was Microsoft, but apparently there's a have, New York. Yeah, we actually have two buildings. We have our main building in Times Square, which is beautiful. It's absolutely beautiful. And then we have our Microsoft Research Center, which is in the Flatiron District. And we actually, so my team is the um, tech and civic engagement team. And our job is to engage with the city and with the government on issues like civic tech and politics and education and city planning and just a lot of like yeah. citizenship type things. Um, and so this is one of our education initiatives that we're doing. And we actually don't work in either one of those buildings. We work out of this co-working space called Civic Hall, which we're one of the sponsors for. And Civic Hall is a co-working space for people who do civic tech. And it's such a great room of people who are in all different, you know, people who do more politics and policy and that side of things. But then there's also like developers and designers and more tech people too. So that's where I get to spend my days. Cool. You get to cross any paths with the Code for America people? Uh, yeah, we actually had, I think they had a Code for America summit recently, like a month or two ago, and it was at Civic Hall. So, yeah. Very cool. So are you a NYC native or are you a migrant? I'm an immigrant and a migrant. I think I can be both, right? I don't know. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so sure. I was actually born in Ethiopia. Okay. And then I came to the U.S. when I was almost three years old and lived in the D.C. metro area for most of my life. Oh. And then I moved up here to um, the New York City area four years ago. Very cool. The immigrant and a migrant. That's uh, quite an accomplishment there. That's <laughs> my biggest accomplishment. <laughs> you think so? I don't know. You think, you're stacking them up here. <laughs> Might be a good point for us to take our final sponsor break, hear from another one of our awesome sponsors. If we come back, we will continue the discussion and, of course, close up with our awesome closing questions. We'll be right back. Imagix is a real-time image processing proxy in CDN. And let me tell you, this is way more than image magic running on EC2. This is way better. It's everything your front-end developers have dreamt of. Output to PNG, JPEG, GIF, JPEG 2000, and several other formats. And if you're like me, you've ever argued with your boss or a teammate about serving retina images to non-retina devices, you'll appreciate their open source dependency-free JavaScript library that allows you to easily use the Imagix API 
to make your images responsive to any device. Now, all of this takes a platform and the ImageX platform is built on three core values, flexibility and quality, performance and affordability. When it comes to flexibility and quality, ImageX has over 90 URL parameters that you can mix and match to provide an unlimited amount of transformations that you need for your images. And they take quality very seriously. And because of their commitment to quality, several top 1000 websites in the world trust them to serve their images. Now, when it comes to performance, ImageX operates out of data centers filled with top of the line Mac Pros and Mac Minis and they're set up for a completely streaming solution. This means your images never hit the disk. Images are served by the best SSD-based CDN for delivery around the world anywhere extremely fast. And while we're talking about speed, almost all the image processing happens on GPUs. This means transformations are super fast when compared to competing virtualized environments. And lastly, it's all about affordability. Everyone wants to save a buck. That's how the world works. Because ImageX processes close to a billion with a B images per day, they're able to make certain optimizations at scale and pass those savings on to you. To learn more about ImageX and what they're all about, head to imgix.com changelog. Once again, imgix.com changelog and tell them Adam from the changelog sent you. All right, we're back. We got Saran. This is the final piece to this show. We love going deep with our guests. And Saran, it's just so easy to like just talk to you. I, I've loved this conversation, honestly. It's great talking to you. You guys rock. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> this is the most conversational podcast I've done. I really like this style. Awesome. It's fun. Awesome. Mm -hmm. Well, speaking of style, I like your style. And I like <laughs> what you're doing with Microsoft. And during this... Because this last piece, if you didn't mm -hmm. notice as a listener um, and as a guest, obviously, um, mm -hmm. I was um, I was sort of taking a backseat because Jared got great questions. I love some of the direction Jared takes the show sometimes. And I just wanted to sit back and listen. And while I was listening, I couldn't help but think that the synergy that you described and that Jared kind of pulled you into is that the thing that you're doing at Microsoft now and what you're doing at Code Newbie is so close. I'm curious if you think because Microsoft does like to acquire things, if they would ever sort of like acquire Code Newbie or empower you to and employ you to build Code Newbie, like if that's a thing and if you would do it. Yeah, that's that's something I honestly hadn't thought of before, which is which is kind of surprising because I think about that kind of thing all the time. Um, but I think that the the reason why I didn't think of that is because at the core of it, Code Newbie is a community. And acquiring a community feels feels funny. You know, it, it really it Maybe feels adopting, funny to me. You know, supporting. Maybe adopting. Yeah. <laughs> all about. I like the adopting community. It's all about semantics here. Because <laughs> like, you're right. It they is. couldn't. They it couldn't is. acquire it, but they could empower you to. Because when we ask the questions about sustainability, mm -hmm. um, you know, for example, with Node, um, you've got companies like Joyent supporting Node for sure. years, and other companies. Mm -hmm. So there's there's definitely this, and Jared, you can lament to this as well. On the like show, VMware supported uh, Redis for a, a time, and right. it was like it was it wasn't like out of goodwill. Obviously, they had a vested interest in Redis, but they weren't therefore like running the project. They were just letting mm -hmm. uh, anti-res. I can't remember his real Anyways, name. Yeah, 
Enerez. Uh, Felipe uh, Salvatore. Salva- Salvatore, yeah, thank you. They were just letting him work on it. And so maybe mm-hmm. it'd be more like that relationship, not like, this is our thing now, but like, we love yeah. you, we love yeah. what you're doing, we love this community, you know? Yeah. So I get to like a 501c3 or a 501c, I think, 6. There's an option for, I forget which, mm-hmm. which C it is, but something that makes it... Uh, not so much that it's not a real thing. I'm not belittling by any means by saying that, but giving yeah. you this layer of the same support that you said you love by going there and doing what you're doing. Cause you said, I can't yeah. believe there's a job doing this. And I think what I thought was kind of funny when I was sitting there listening, it was like, you've already got the job. You already <laughs> had the job, right? You just, now you're just going for Microsoft. Now I'm doing it. Yeah, that's true. I'm doing the job in, in, in a more official capacity with definitely more support. Um, but yeah, I would totally be open to that. Yeah, I definitely see it as being, at the very least, like a 20% project or something that I do for part of the time. Right. Um, and I definitely see, like Microsoft is is so invested in the community and we do a lot in terms of supporting, specifically in New York, we do a lot um, on the team with supporting local hackathons and organizations and community members and things like that. So mm-hmm. I definitely see this fitting into to that that portfolio. Uh, yeah. You know, on that note too, just I, I see this happening too. And I, I see Microsoft commercials and there was a time when I was like, I just want them to come back in a good way. And this is like four or five years ago. And I think they have been coming back. There's yeah. a, there's a side of Microsoft that's like uh, this corporation and there's like this product side and there's this, the side that you're on, which is like supporting and loving developers and like rethinking right. the way they think about as a corporation about technology mm-hmm. and the people that make it. And I, I've been, I love Microsoft. I think they should, they're doing great. I love mm-hmm what you're saying here about how they're supporting the community. And I think listeners yeah. out there, I don't have a ton of knowledge about it, but I'm just for Microsoft. You know, mm-hmm. I think it's great what they're doing. And I'm, I'm yeah. excited about that because we need more people like that, more things like that happening. Yeah, I totally agree. And, you know, it's funny because when I first heard about the position and the, you know, the program, I was honestly kind of skeptical. You know, when I think about like a really big tech company, regardless of who it is, doing a program like that, I, I thought to myself, there has to be an angle. You know, there has to be like a thing where they're greatly benefiting in some financial way. And the great thing about the team that I work on is we don't report to sales. We don't report to a business division. Like we report, we're under corporate affairs and, and relationships. So we're all about relationship building and genuinely about you know, community, like our, our metrics are, you know, how many people did we help? <laughs> you know, what did we, what did we do to improve lives? Like th- that's how we measure our own success. Um, and then me being able to lead that program, you know, I, I get to say what direction we go in and, you know, how we approach conversations and what we do. And, you know, seeing that they're genuinely invested in the community has been a huge relief <laughs> for me personally. Um, and it's really great to see that and get to work with that. Awesome. Well, unfortunately, we are getting a bit long in the tooth here. We do have time, of course, for our awesome closing questions. I'm going to ask a little bit of a different one uh, today, mm-hmm. um, specifically for the Code Newbie audience and for people who are interested in your experience and uh, the experience of the community. So if you had the, uh, the ear of the open source community and uh, beginners to experts and you had a tip or a trick or an experience uh, as a beginner developer, that you could relay, uh, what would it be? Yeah, so my uh, my advice is around getting a job. Um, so when I got my very first job from boot camp, I was a hacker in residence, which is possibly my favorite job title ever. 
Uh, and I worked at the New York Tech Meetup, which was the largest meetup organization in the world. They have, I think, over 42,000 members at this point. They do a monthly demo night showcasing all different types of technology in New York. Uh, it sells out in minutes you know, every month. And our job was to build a platform for it. And when I got that offer, the way that we did it was we had a science fair. <clears throat> we had a science fair and employers, I think we had about 100 employers come in and we had a little booth set up with our computers and we had to talk through the thing that we built. We had to talk through our student projects. And I'm pretty sure I was the only person in our class of, I think we had 45 people who only had one thing to show. And I had exactly one app and it was a note-taking app for video where you play the video and then you can take notes on the side and it gives you timestamps and you can play back the video when you click on the note at exactly the point where you took the note. So your notes and your videos were always in sync. And when I talked about or when I planned how I was going to talk about the app, I focused on things that I knew would make me different. And I focused more on, so um, if you watch any of my talks, then you know that I, I love to draw and I do a lot of cartooning. And so I spent a lot of time focusing <clears throat> focusing on the color scheme and the design and the, I, actually the splash page had a cartoon on it. And I focused so much on the UX and, all the, and on the things that I knew that my uh, classmates were not going to focus on. And when I talked through it, I didn't, you know, I wasn't trying to impress anybody with my, you know, one controller and my, you know, actions, because that's, you know, these are senior developers, these are CTOs, these are people who are not going to be impressed by anything that I can make in three months. And so instead, what I focused on was I focused on the design stuff. I pointed out the fact that like, I didn't use Bootstrap, I, you know, did my own designs, and I did my own um, CSS from mostly from scratch. I talked about how I thought about the user flow. I talked about the things that went wrong and how I fixed them. I talked about the the struggles that I had. I talked about the lessons that I learned. And above all, I was incredibly excited to talk about everything. And you know, I was so excited that usually there was no time for them to ask me questions, which was part of the plan. It was great. Right. Yeah. <laughs> it was I awesome. guess our time's up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> exactly. You're hired. And, I mean you're not. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, I I think that I kept meeting with employers for at least an hour after the science fair officially ended. And that evening I had my first interview. And out of that one science fair, I had booked, I think it was seven interviews for the following two weeks. And it's not that I was necessarily the best coder. It's that I knew how to pitch and I knew how to communicate right. and I knew how to talk and, and show the best that I had. And the best advice that I give to code newbies is to do just that. It's to find the things that make you different, the things that give you the edge. And the great thing about people who are transitioning into tech is they come from very different fields. Yes. That's an advantage. And I think that a lot of people are self-conscious about that and they think, oh, I've only been coding for two years. I've I've done, you know, marketing for 10 years. That's awesome. Use your marketing angle. You know, talk about those experiences and talk about how you communicate and how you pitch. There's so many other skills that you can bring that are valuable to being a developer and mm -hmm. knowing how to position yourself has been just an incredible, incredible part of my journey. Well, that's excellent advice. I mean, I'll cut that up and have a soundbite right there. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> let's, uh, let's do our next one here. The old saw that everybody has to answer when they come on the show, which is who is your programming hero and why? Ooh, I like that one. I like that one a lot. Um, I think my programming hero is Katrina Owen, 
Um, so Katrina is a developer, an incredible, incredible speaker. We we spoke together at Bath Ruby earlier this year, and I think she went on right after me. And I thought I I thought I did a pretty good job. I was pretty happy with my talk, and then she went up and she just oh. killed it. Oh my god! She practices she, relentlessly, which pays yes, off. Yes, she does. Yes, and and the reason why she's my hero is because you know I I know a lot of really great developers. And I know a lot of people who hone their craft and who, who who are just very good. And when I talk to her, and we've become pretty close in the last year, when I talk to her and I've learned more about her background and her story, I, I've never met someone with so with such great work ethic. Like she really, really cares. And she puts in the time and she puts in the hours. And, you know, if you... If, if you've been listening to this podcast, you probably know that I work very hard too. I think she works harder than me. And I don't know many people who work harder than me. <laughs> and just, you know, seeing her grow and and knowing, you know, how much time and sweat she puts into her craft and then her side project exorcism, what she's doing, you know, purely for the benefit of the community and how much time and effort she puts into helping other people learn to code as well. And, you know, us very much being in that same space. Um, that's, to me, what makes a hero, you know, it, it's not, it's not just, you know, the, the end, you know, because when you see someone on stage, and you hear them speak, you think, oh, they're a great speaker, but it's knowing the backstory and the journey, it's knowing what it took to get there. And knowing what I know from what it takes her to get to, you know, where she is, that to me is, is very heroic. Very good answer. Uh, for those interested in exorcism, we did have Katrina on the show, episode 108. So check out changelog.com slash 108. We also hung out with her a little bit at GopherCon and are in talks to have her back on for a little bit of a catching oh, up awesome. with exorcism here this fall or perhaps in the winter. I was going to say, it's, yeah. it's, we're due for a catch up because that show that you just mentioned was October 16th, 2013. Mm. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. So <laughs> oh, it was a while back. It's, it's a bit back. It's when it first started. And it, we laughed, actually, because the the... The exorcism client that was written, the CLI, was mm-hmm. originally written in Ruby, and it was rewritten in Go. Mm-hmm. And uh, <laughs> that show was when it was still not fully transitioned. So she laughed wow. at GopherCon, saying, "Oh, that's really that's a long time ago," you know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, she's an incredible person. Absolutely. Well, Saran, it's definitely been uh, fun having you on the show. I know that uh, we. We tend to go deep. You said it was fun because it was conversational. It's the most conversational mm-hmm. show you've been on. Um, but it's it's been a blast having you. It's been a blast learning about your journey um, from the different backgrounds you come from into code. And I love, you know, what you said there, which was to to if you're new to software development or design or programming or whatever, not to forget about the history you bring to mm-hmm. the subject matter. Just because you're new at developing a software program doesn't mean that you're new at developing something mm-hmm. you know i think there's a lot yes. of a lot of knowledge to, to really bring in that's that's an important fact to to not forget to those listeners out there so saran uh you hail from codenewbie.org so if you're listening we do take show notes check those out codenewbie.org we had four awesome sponsors for the show codeship toptal and harvest as well as imagix I said and because we usually have three sponsors. <laughs> uh, and Jared, we lost something new ourselves recently, Beyond Code. Do you want right. to mention Beyond Code real quick? Like it's at, oh, I know it's at beyondcode.tv. Right. Um, and it's something we do at conferences. What, what, what can we say about this fun thing we do? 
Yeah, so um, for those who like our closing questions, it's, we ask similar questions uh, to those. Everybody gets the exact same five questions, and we really get to meet the people at the conference after parties. Um, we launched season one, which is at Keep Ruby Weird. Season two is coming soon. Space City JS, check it out, beyondcode.tv. Super short interview series. Uh, we think you'll really enjoy it. There's a mailing list there too, so if you want to know when the new seasons get announced, go ahead and subscribe. We'll let you know. Uh, beyondcode.tv. We also have a couple emails as well. Changelog Weekly and Changelog Nightly, uh, both respectively at changelog.com slash weekly or slash nightly. Those are awesome emails. If you don't subscribe, we make sad faces, so you should subscribe. <laughs> um, but Saran, it's been such a blast to have you on the show. Thank you so much for for joining us and just taking the time uh, just to share so much about what you're doing. And we definitely want to be an encourager of you and what you're doing in your community that you're building. So uh, definitely stay in touch to the listeners out there and to the members that support this podcast and what we do at the Change Law. We thank you so much. Jared and I really appreciate all the support we get, but uh, this is now the time to say goodbye. So let's do that. So goodbye for me. Bye. Goodbye. <laughs>